0: Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. I'm Katrina,
1: and I'm Elizabeth.
2: Welcome back, Elizabeth.
0: It's been a few weeks since mm. we've spoken, and I'm feeling excited about this episode.
1: Me too. Yeah, I am too. Um, do you want to? Do you want to introduce it? Or? Sure. Yeah. Well. It's essentially introducing
0: one word. It's beauty. It's, uh, the topic came to us actually several weeks ago now. And yeah, for me, I guess I'm drawn to it for a number of reasons. Um, one it has been on my mind recently. I redid my values as part of um, some coaching I've been doing as a coachee. And I did a, a survey um, with the University of Pennsylvania, um, which is called the, the VIA Survey. Um, of character strengths, and my top strength um, came up as an appreciation of beauty and excellence. And it Very sounded good. quite, sounded quite yeah. grand. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, and yet, there was something that really resonated mm-hmm. with that with me in terms of, like, I, I really enjoy seeing things that um, and hearing things, not just visual, that give me pleasure. Yeah, so it's just been on my mind about how that links in with my life and work at the moment. Mm. Um, what what connects you to beauty, Elizabeth? Mm.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating, um, that appreciation of beauty. I guess I take for granted that I appreciate beauty and for me connected to that wonder. But I think it's really been in the last year that I've really more actively noticed that appreciation. Mm. We're really lucky that where we live, we've been able to throughout lockdown go on lovely walks in the countryside every day and I definitely don't take that for granted but just seeing the seasons again and seeing change and seeing right now the unfurling the blooming of spring um, it's just it's beautiful yeah for me I guess beauty is connected to hope as well or at least possibility it's it's sometimes a choice you have to work hard to try and see the beauty in a in a situation um, or a conversation even but for me i just i love that idea of looking for looking for the light looking for the possibility looking for the opportunity and the and the opening um, and for me beauty and wonder is is kind of connected to that
0: mm. yeah and it's, it feels like those qualities are really needed right now and, and and actually starting to to be realized as we in the uk start to come out of lockdown mm. the, that hope and possibilities are opening up mm. Mm. And it does feel timely. I think we're, we're just beyond the first week of May when we're recording this. But my mum always said, best week of the year, Katrina, first week of May. And oh, I think God. she's right. I've been walking around the London streets and almost with a slight nature lens on. So I'm kind mm. of slightly fading out in my mind the, the buildings around me. But it actually just like sharpening up the, the trees and the flowers and the birds. And it's, there's some really beautiful beauty here in the city as well.
1: Mm. I love the month of May as well it just like there's so many poems that have been yeah. written about May and it's just it's synonymous with yeah like I say that kind of blossoming of spring and, and lighter evenings and all that the timing is also nice so today is the 11th of May and that places us in mental health awareness week certainly in the UK mm. and interestingly the theme of mental health awareness week this year is nature
0: mm.
1: and that kind of recognition or of The importance of connection to nature, um, getting outside, looking up, looking around you, it feels really timely. And I think there is a kind of theme that runs through that of just, yeah, looking for beauty, looking for hope and possibility. There's some interesting tools and things on the Mental Health Awareness Week websites and tips and videos and things. So we'll put a link to that in our show notes because it might be worth having a bit of a rummage around their site. Yeah,
0: so feeling timely Mm -hmm. also feels, I guess, part of who we are and what we value. Conscious, obviously, beauty can be thought of and interpreted in in lots of different ways. And a way that we're going to be thinking about it today is actually um, drawing from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. So I'll, I'll read out one of their definitions around beauty that connected with us. So beauty is the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or spirit. I think and that's,
1: it, oh. No, no I, I just think it's a really helpful definition. And I think beauty is something that's actually really difficult to define. It means, you know, different things to, to everyone. But you know, that idea of aggregate qualities, you know, it's it's not one thing. It's not mm-hmm. black or white. It's not. It's either there or it's not. It's a blending and a fusion of lots mm-hmm. of different things and giving pleasure to the senses. That makes it reminds me that it's not just visual. You know, it can be sound like I think May the 1st is National Dawn Chorus Day in the UK. So, mm-hmm. you know, the sound of birds doing their thing and trying to attract a mate and do all the other things they do. It's at its peak at the mm-hmm. start of May. Um, So it really is a sensory thing. And then exalting the mind or spirit, that makes me think of poems and words and Mm. ideas and scenes and views and people, Um, you know, beauty and people that exalts the mind when, you know, they say something that inspires you. And I think as we think about beauty today, we'll definitely be seeing beauty in that kind of wider sense of, it touching on all the senses, mm-hmm. mind, body, spirit, everything. It's not just a kind of visual thing. Although if you put the word beauty into Google, all the things that come up, as far as I can tell, were to do with cosmetics, companies, mm. products, young women having to look a certain way. That's that's one of the mm. sort of pressures actually mm. today, particularly with a visual social media world, that pressure to, to look good, mm which is one way that people think about beauty. That really struck me when I just Googled the word beauty.
0: Mm. It's interesting. It reminds me of uh, my own personal experience in the beauty industry. Um, So once upon a time, many decades ago, um, I was a model in the summer. I was 16 and lived in London. It's very exciting. But eventually they said, you know, they've decided not to keep going with me and that my look was no longer in. Oh. Like, had... By this stage, I had really short hair, oh. <laughs> like a real pixie vibe. And it's interesting. Like, it, you know, luckily yeah. I had other things going on in my life. But, yeah. you know, how do we judge beauty? You mm. know, w- w- what comes and goes? What is timely? You know, what's truly timeless beauty? And, yeah. and for me, I think that experience has definitely made me question that and
2: mm. and really
0: appreciate imperfections in people and things as well as you know I mean obviously you can appreciate certain perfection but but that's not all or it's not enough
1: yeah it's fascinating who gets to say who who you know who owns beauty who who gets to say what's beautiful and not we all it's such a personal thing to us or it can be you know it's I was about to say there isn't a standard there isn't criteria but sadly actually in some industries like fashion there probably is a standard there probably are criteria as you say that kind of come and go with the seasons yeah. which I think is probably quite damaging So there's lots to think about here Yes it's a is it broad topic mm. And today we've got two really interesting guests actually mm. guides to help us think about this mm-hmm. We've got Nina Flowers mm-hmm who's going to help us think from the kind of individual perspective. And we have Tony Juniper, who is going to help us think from a more kind of you know, systems landscape level approach. And we were just saying before we were recording, both of our guides have lovely nature themed names, mm. uh, Nina flowers, Tony Juniper. It was like, it was meant to be. Yes. So, <laughs> so mm. without further ado, should we introduce our first guide? Yes, Nina. So Nina actually popped onto both of our radars, didn't she? When we were mm. thinking about this, for various reasons, Nina works with branding and aesthetics for companies. She's also kind of into upcycling, and and um, she. Uh, at one stage was involved in a company that took offcuts of leather and turned them into bags and things and she's now set up a kind of natural skincare company called Arteme. the tagline of the company is protect your wild and it has got this connection to nature particularly women being out in the elements and in their own element so we're excited to explore beauty with nina yeah so here we go here's nina We're really happy to welcome Nina Flowers to Unfurling. Uh, Nina's a good friend of ours and our paths have crossed professionally as well. Um, she's given us advice and inspiration over the years. Mm. Um, welcome, Nina. It's really, really good to have you on the show.
2: Thank you for having me. Cool. It's great to see you and hear you.
1: Mm. Well, yeah. Nina's in Barcelona and we've just been having a little look Um <laughs> Around where she lives, and it's it's really really lovely. So we thought it might be good if you just start off by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and um, yeah, it'd be really good for our listeners to get to know you.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks again for inviting me to talk and, and share a few experiences and what I've learned from nature over the years, and how that I guess informed or influenced the work I've done, and. Kind of what keeps me inspired and um, so it's influenced my work a lot um, in relation to communication, strategy and branding, which is my profession that that's how I pay the rent and the natural world plays a big role particularly on um, how words influence behaviors and and ultimately influence their purchasing decisions, what they buy, how they buy, where they buy less, my journey um, feeling more connected to nature and how it influenced my work was really started when I set up a ethical fashion label which was all about upcycling textiles Mm -hmm. and making new clothing out of old leather old materials and just making them come alive and and just inviting people into that world of sustainable fashion and that was 12 years ago Mm -hmm. um, which was the sort of what we saw at the time was a bit of a fashion washing machine the same people doing the same work but now that's expanded massively um, and that connects with your theme as well today of of beauty which is really exciting and interesting
1: Mm -hmm. yeah fascinating it sounds like that nature piece and how nature has influenced um your work has been a really kind of core um a core a consideration of yours I'm curious where that comes from um, and how nature has informed you and inspired you you know in your life and in your personal life perhaps as well
2: yeah that's it's a really interesting question it kind of brings up lots of different things for me but I think I think I can boil it down to about three things one is is to do with like being a sort of slightly blocked artist mm. so I did a level art. And then took all the advice, which was don't do art, don't go to art school because you'll never earn any money. So I kind of ignored, took that advice and sort of moved into more of a business direction and sort of left that behind. Did courses occasionally um, and painted. But I suppose that in reality, I've done, I've painted, but in my head, I've painted a lot. And it's thanks to nature that I've done that because of seeing the textures and patterns and structures in nature. I'm constant, constantly sort of awestruck by that, you know, and it just keeps me a bit sane, like, and it keeps me in touch with who I am and, and that sort of artistic side, even though I'm not a practising or professional artist, it keeps me in touch with my creativity, which is a big part of who I am. That kind of feeds into my work a bit, and it definitely ripples through into the brand consultancy work I do as well. Mm. And the second thing is probably I keep connected with my adventurous side, you know, just that adventurous spirit I think is so important in in all of us. And it's something that I've has really inspired um setting up a project, a skincare project, or which has become a brand, which is trying to stay in touch with your adventurous spirit. And I think with the digitization of so many things, even nature now, like, you know, we see nature on our screens and we see nature through uh,
3: a different lens.
2: And sometimes that's not lived experience. I really wanted to sort of kind of connect, mention that because I think that goes back to childhood, you know, kind of being lost in nature in a way. Like I remember being back at school and in lunch breaks, kind of getting lost in this sort of hedge disappearing from, from some of the other kids and, and just sort of imagining, like, a world of Narnia. Just mm. so exciting. I guess that adventurous side, like running for me and walking, keeps that alive in some way. That sort of childhood connection that sometimes you need to sort of reconnect with in order to feel like you.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I really resonate with that.
2: And then the third, the third reason is, uh, or seeing that really influences me and connects me to nature is is the sort of health and well-being element of
3: Mm.
2: it being you know really meditative and even if it's just staring at a leaf or you know a a landscape it's it's sometimes it taps back into that sort of artistic Mm. the details of nature and that really I think helps with my well-being and keeps me safe at times (laughs) Yeah, keeps keeps away darker days. You know, I think that it really does. Like if I can get close to nature, I think for me living in a quite dark flat for the last, for most of the, the lockdown has been quite difficult. So getting outside has been really important. Um, and now I've got a balcony or an outside space. It's just so amazing. I love that. So Nina, what I'm hearing is... Um... There's a kind of the
0: nature helps you with your kind of creativity, that blocked art- artist piece you mentioned, that adventurous side of yourself and your health and well being. And I'm I'm curious as you think about nature and you think about beauty, like how have those guided mm. you with your your current business, Arteme, And perhaps if you want to just introduce that to our listeners so they understand what you're doing. Yeah, sure.
2: Um, so a few years ago I I did Study uh, or trained in developing natural skincare products, and that was basically because I've been using really lovely products, organic products, natural products for years, and I was curious about what went into them and how I could make them myself. So I did learn how to formulate products, which was a really interesting experience, you know, with all the different textures and oils. And I started to create products. And then I started to share those products. But I was using them while I was kind of running, jogging outside. At the time, I, was, I was, wasn't living in an urban area. So it was, it was quite, the weather was, you know, you had more horizontal wind and it was mm-hmm. a, a bit more harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted, it ended up evolving into creating skincare. A few products, basically, a will, a balm and a face oil and a cleanser just for dealing with my own skin. I I developed this and I just thought, you know, what shall I do with it? Because other people were trying it and they were liking it as well. And then, you know, some people that loved being outdoors and they were very adventurous. And I just thought, what there might be something in this. And I think the brand strategist in me just Mm. felt really compelled. to thought, okay, how can I make this into a really positive message? And that message ended up being quite connected to beauty. Mm. And how our identity, you know, and how authentic beauty plays a role in how we connect to what we buy, how we connect to nature and how we connect to people. Mm. And also, I suppose the core of that was when I was running. I would go out running and I'd feel quite liberated. I'd be away from the desk. I'd be outdoors. I'd feel this, like, huge sense of freedom and the most in touch with myself compared to any other time. And I just thought, how can I take that and of so, bottle it into something that feels like other people could uh, sort of connect with that. That's where the, uh, the concept for Art Made, the philosophy, started to grow mm. and form. And that was the concept mm. of protecting your wild. Mm. And it kind of has two meanings. So one is focused on authentic beauty and about kind of creating a more positive idea about aging, you mm. know, and trying to move away from some of the terminology that the beauty industry has sort of forced upon us over the years, like anti-aging, you know, Mm. what message that sends to us Mm. and, you know, flawless beauty. And there are many more. So that felt like something I felt quite passionately about and and, and do now. Mm. It's how can we change the perception of beauty through the creation of products, um, but products that have, minimal impacts in the way they're produced yeah so the the focus there was around how can we stay in touch with our sort of inner wild or our god or goddess of the wilderness you know with how we can stay connected and feel you know that we're having a, a real experience in nature and what what helps us to do that
1: i love what you're saying about bringing a more positive concept around aging and beauty and that goes back to what you were saying earlier about your interest in communication and the words and the terminology we use and i'd never really made that connection before but it's it it feels really helpful so even just the words and therefore the behaviors and the choices we make as consumers i think that's a really um positive thing that you're doing with Mm. Artemy.
2: there isn't there's so much pressure um on men and women to kind of Mm. I suppose we all have an ego. We all want, you know, you grow up, and everyone wants to feel desired and to feel like noticed on some level. So I think a lot of what we do and the way that feeds into beauty and image is society's created this ideal, and you know all the words that we use in marketing, particularly with skincare, kind of reinforce that. Which is why when developing the the messaging around this I just re- was really keen not to use some of the kind of typical terminology or even the word anti-aging.
0: Yeah because what I love hearing you speak is it's almost like I have this image of you running you know in your elements and really reconnecting to you know some of that Narnia side of you and actually when yeah, I think yeah. of people I love you know like when they're really really happy and there's that, that kind of that beauty inner beauty is like shining outwards it almost feels like that's what you're capturing here rather than this flawless perfect skin which feels so important I'm also curious you mentioned just briefly um, in terms of protecting your wild you also mentioned about minimal impact and I'm just curious about what that means um, with your work
2: yeah so obviously it feels like when you create a product that you're in somehow not helping the planet or you're not mm-hmm. helping the natural environment because you're creating something. Mm. It's finding a way of choosing the oils that are organic, choosing things that have been produced, like from seed to the skin concept, mm. um, which is already mm-hmm. a well-known concept, this kind of from seed to skin, to be as positive as possible. Like, you know, where how's that seed grown? How's a piece of fabric mm. made? And then following that journey right from the beginning to how it ends up on your face and and what happens then when it gets absorbed into your body.
1: I actually do a lot of walking and I'm currently training to be a hill and moorland leader in the UK and um, I was on Dartmoor a few weeks ago and the wind was howling and it was minus five and it was cold and my skin felt awful but then I started using your cleanser which is full of lovely things like carrot I think and camellia and all sorts and it's it just it's it's genuinely never felt healthier so just gonna leave that there Mm. especially
2: because your skin felt dry before
1: yeah yeah it feels like I'm sort of putting you know nourishing stuff into my body which actually then helps me feel nourished and in turn as you say, I can let that nourishment shine out and, and feel more me and more authentic. There is some kind of feedback loop, I think, going on there, which oh, is quite interesting. Hopefully, it's
2: working from that point of view as well. Like mm. because you're, I see you as an adventurous spirit, both of you, and you know, imagining you out on the hills doing your training, yeah. and mm. you know, connecting that back. Although it's yeah. a product, it's still part of you know connect with your values I guess that's what I sort
1: of
2: Mm. sort of read from that and hear from what you're saying
1: yeah yeah that feels right connecting with values it feels like a kind of entry point into thinking about other things rather than just something I'm consuming it feels it feels I can't quite articulate it yet but it's it's in a different space in my head Mm. to kind of the usual products that I might use
0: when I think about being outside and, you know, hike for me, more hiking. Um, and, and bit, you know, you're doing more of that at the moment than I am Elizabeth, but it, it feels like it, it it can be quite a space where you have to be quite masculine. You, you know, it's, it's raw, you yeah. know, you'd you be tough, you know, rather than actually bringing in some of that, that more joyful feminine mm-hmm. side. And that's okay. It kind of, it feels like it's bringing in some of that into that space, which I think is really healthy
1: actually yeah yeah and I guess that goes back to the goddess mm. of the wilderness like you were talking about Nina which for those who don't know is Artemis right mm. which is I think the inspiration behind the name Artemis
2: yeah, well I
1: she she's a she's a favorite goddess of mine I like her
2: yeah she was the inspiration but then I didn't want to completely kind of alienate men because I think a lot of skincare mm. is aimed at women but it was tested on 15 women initially and I think the concept of beauty and authentic beauty shouldn't eliminate men. It shouldn't just always be about women, which it always feels it is. And there's a huge movement mm. with the male beauty industry. And, you know, I'd love it if Artemi could, you know, appeal to men as well. And I've tried to, mm. I suppose that the branding is has been created in a way that feels a bit gender neutral to, to make room for that mm. at some point going back to sort of your theme of beauty, one of the guiding principles for us, may is authentic beauty and I think we can have this idea of perfection and I think Instagram and some of the social media channels definitely don't help with that at the moment especially because a lot mm. of it is edited and sort of presenting yeah. a fake reality um, which can be particularly damaging for sort of younger people at the moment and their mental mm. health. But this idea that we can lose what's special about us or what makes us unique because everyone's mm. conforming to something, mm. which is the beauty standard. Mm. Therefore, then we're frightened to be in touch with our flaws and show them, and and what actually makes us individual. Mm. And somehow breaking out into nature and being adventurous. Sort of, I feel like that's the key. To, you know, especially when we're surrounded by screens. Yeah.
1: That makes me think of what you were saying earlier and how you yourself enjoy the textures and the patterns in nature and how that inspires you. And there's something about when I think of that as a metaphor for us, you know, what is what are the textures and patterns amongst ourselves? How are we being mm-hmm. ourselves? And our pattern and texture is different to anyone else's. So there's, yeah, we don't want to lose what's special. We don't want to lose that texture and that pattern. So there's something about using nature perhaps as a way of helping us remember that and remembering that all species are different. Mm.
0: I like that, Elizabeth, I'm feeling all warm inside. (laughs) That's good, that's a a good analogy, I like it.
1: (laughs) Thank you, I love the metaphor. So Nina, as we kind of start to draw this to a close, I'm curious whether there's any um, recommendations, thoughts, things that you want to leave our listeners with that they could go away and look up. Whether it's about you know your work and Artemy or about beauty more generally.
2: Yeah. So um, at the moment, we're running uh, a small promotion, which is a chance to test the products that we've got at running at the moment, um, which is available at the moment. Um, so you can go to the website. I also wanted to mention that. I'm only able to run this project at the moment alongside the, the branding work that I'm doing, trying to keep that going. And what's making that possible is my sister, who is now working with me on the project from mm. Wiltshire. Mm. So we've got this kind of relationship um, where, you know, we can manage it between Barcelona and Wiltshire, which is quite, quite unique. unique. Mm. Um, but mm. She's making it all possible now. She's um producing hand making the products in the uk um which i was doing before so she's fully trained in making them and you know that's inspiring as well we've both got a passion for nature and just that connection is is, is making this project you know taking it to another level really
1: i love that thank you yes we'll put the link in the um show notes and yeah just encourage listeners to go away and have a rummage there's some Mm. blogs and things as well I think on your Mm. website which are interesting as well so
2: yeah we're hoping to add more to the blog Mm. particularly connecting some of the the things we've talked about today we both want to sort of write more and contribute and Mm. you know share things like your podcast and and I'm really conscious that we're not sharing a lot of what we're talking about and Mm. thinking about and care about. So I'd love to make time to do more of that. You know, this doing this podcast with you has been really inspiring itself, you know, just Mm. hearing your views about nature. I feel like the whole process has just been sort of an unfurling in itself. Yeah. Yeah, Really inspiring. Love it.
0: Well, thank you. And, And Nina, we really love what you're doing out in the world. Um, you could have come on here and done a, a sales pitch, essentially, right? for your company, <laughs> and, mm. you, and you didn't, and it was all about you know what's important to you and your philosophy. And actually, what I'm taking away myself is just that vision of people in their element, you know, in the elements potentially, mm. or just like, but in their element and that authentic Ooh, nice
2: connection. Well, thank, like thank
0: you, it. thank mm, you. Yeah. Nice.
1: <laughs> love it and I'm just taking away the idea of authentic beauty and what does that mean to you and it might be different to the next person the next person that's okay so how do we tap into that authenticity and I think what you're doing is really for me that's been a real entry point into that thinking so thank you thanks for being with us today it's really lovely chatting to you yeah thank you Nina
2: thanks for inviting me to join you
0: Uh, it's such a pleasure to, to speak with and hear from Nina again. And, yeah, there are you know several things that I'll be taking away from that conversation, um, particularly the phrase authentic beauty, um, what that can mean. Um, I loved the kind of range with which Nina spoke about that, you know, from being liberated, um, adventurous, through to really... Um, accepting of aging you know and natural processes Um, it felt very kind of uh, giving of permission and spacious actually Um, yeah I came away with just feeling quite at ease actually when I was thinking about the idea of authentic beauty what about you Elizabeth
1: yeah I would um, echo that the idea of authentic beauty I think that's something we really need to hear now yeah, going back to what I was saying earlier, particularly young people who are so kind of exposed to all sorts of messages in the media and social media particularly. And yeah, thinking about the concept of age and beauty more generally and the terminology and the language we use mm. around that. How do we change the perception of what it is to be beautiful? And I also appreciated how she picked up on the kind of textures and patterns and the little details in nature mm. and, and how those things can kind of spark creativity. You know, that's obviously done So for her with Artemis. And also that kind of keeping the connection with our adventurous side or finding an adventurous side. Mm. So that tagline being protect your wild. Mm. Um, And I think that's important for all of us to hear, you know, how are we protecting what we love, you know, physically, locally, or, you know, socially or or whatever it is, but equally protecting our wild Mm. collectively. How do we do that? How do we work together to restore habitats and restore our own mental health. You know, this is Mental Health Awareness Week. How do we protect our wild, our own wild selves and our our, our language and the wildness and language? And yeah, really enjoyed speaking with her. Mm. Feels
0: like it actually nicely um, connects to our next guide, actually, when we think about you know, protecting our wild, if we change the tagline slightly. And thinking about what beauty is on many different levels. Uh, it could be individual, it could be more of the macro-systemic level. Um, and someone we'd love to introduce you to is Tony Juniper. So Tony is a campaigner, writer, sustainability advisor, and well-known British environmentalist. And he is the chair of Natural England, which is a statutory body that works for the conservation and restoration of the natural environment in England.
1: Yeah, and Tony came to mind as we were thinking about that collective response to mm. beauty. So how do we collectively protect you know, wildlife and, and landscapes and you know, beautiful areas of our landscape? Some years back, uh, I was involved in a magazine called resurgence which is a environmental magazine in the uk and i connected with tony through that yeah here's what he had to say tony if you want to introduce yourself to our listeners so who you are what you do what you're interested in and we'll go from there
3: okay So my name is is Tony Juniper. Uh, I describe myself as an environmentalist. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have a long and varied involvement with all of these subjects that are now so pressing, Uh, climate change, conservation of of nature, uh, the protection and wise use of the environment. And um, I find myself today uh, in the very privileged position of being the chairman of Natural England, uh, so the body that uh, assists the British government in England in the delivery uh, of its conservation and, and wider environmental ambition. And um, it's a very exciting time to be doing this work, actually. But I've been involved with all of these subjects now for, I suppose, in a kind of you know very involved professional capacity for 35 and more years. And this is feeling like a very unusual time when the momentum behind actually doing something at a serious and large scale, it it does seem to have now connected with the mainstream. And so this is maybe the moment when we see something of a turning point. Uh, We'll know in 10 or 15 years when we look back, um, but it feels at the moment that there is a great deal of opportunity uh, on subjects that have been intractable, wickedly difficult to, to address, uh, but now the willingness does increasingly seem to be there to do something which is going to make a difference, which um, is a good thing.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's exciting. It does. It feels like a time of change in the world in general. And, and absolutely, that's coming to the fore now. We've invited you in for a perhaps an unusual uh, topic, that of beauty. And we thought of you when we were thinking about beauty at the macro level, landscapes. Conservation, but also just curious with your with your history and experience in the environmental and conservation world. What your personal experience is in terms of beauty, particularly with the natural world lens.
3: I think, like many people who, who uh, embark on uh, some kind of involvement in the conservation world, you, you kind of go through the process of immersing yourself in it and you find that it becomes quite a technical, legalistic, scientific discipline Mm. um, because much of the modern pursuit of conservation, it it comes from science, it comes from zoology, it comes from botany, it comes from geomorphology, and all of these things that um, lend themselves to academic investigation. And, you know, certainly many of the peers who I've been lucky enough to work with over the years that they are scientists of one kind or another that's interesting when you look at the reason why people do this work and it is often the case that they're not there because they had only a scientific curiosity it's it's mostly because they were inspired in some way often in their youth um, to see nature as something really quite wonderful and really quite beautiful, mm. and therefore worthy of protection and recovery. And certainly that that was my entry point as a small child, was a fascination with all aspects of the natural world of um, birds, flowers, insects, rivers, trees, and one's appreciation of nature. And this is equally the case today as it ever was, is not so much the experience of seeing a beautiful bird um, that happens to be rare, but seeing that beautiful bird in a setting where its context is also uh, apparent. So not just the individual thing, but the ecosystem, the landscape, uh, the system that it's a part of, um, has a completely different level of um of attractiveness to it, and, and that's the beauty dimension. And very often, as we go along in conservation, and actually you see this in some of the founding legislation of, of what we work with today in this country, including at Natural England, you see this bifurcation, this this parting of the ways. Uh, back in the late 1940s, when we had the National Parks and Access to the Countryside Act passed, which laid the foundations for much of what we do today, You had one stream of policy and law and resources and organisations devoted to beauty and access to beauty and a separate stream devoted to the conservation of nature and wildlife. Mm. And on the one side, you have national parks and areas of outstanding natural beauty. And on the other, you have sites of special scientific interest. And that kind of sums it up, really, how that parting of the ways occurred in a way that then led to two distinct schools of thought as to what the job at hand actually is. Uh, So protecting landscapes in one direction and protecting the diversity of nature in another. Of course, these two things should be one and the same thing and that they they, uh, increasingly are one and the same thing. But that difference between the pursuit of beauty and the protection of a scientifically interesting set of assets. You know, it's it's remained with us all the way through this journey. And um, One of the things that I'm very keen that we do um, in my role at, at Natural England now is to bring a more holistic view of what nature is. So our mission is about nature recovery. Um, but recovery of what is then mm. an important question, and certainly some of the discussions I've had with partners and friends and colleagues who work in the areas of outstanding natural beauty in the national parks is that it became apparent that that sometimes we're talking at slightly cross purposes because what they mean by nature is an inspiring landscape that lifts the human spirit and and brings inspiration to people at quite an intangible and spiritual level Uh, whereas you know are we talking about the expanding the population of a particular bird or insect or the coverage of a plant? And that's actually really quite an important thing to grapple with because increasingly, um, I think what we have to pursue is the recovery of nature at four simultaneous levels at once. And so one is that diversity piece. So the animals and plants that should be in a particular region of the country or the world, and they need to be there for all sorts of reasons, including the the fact that they have a right to exist. Uh, So that diversity piece is is definitely part of it. But then there is the beauty part, and for those animals and plants to be um, existing and thriving in places that simultaneously are the right places from the point of view of the whole system and the intactness of the landscape. And then a third layer comes, and this is a new piece which is now very much part of conservation and I've made it my business to make this part of conservation sometimes with some controversy but the practical values of nature too so the carbon being captured in the soils and in the woodlands the purity of the rivers running as a result of the health of the soil and that then being an asset for cities and towns in terms of their drinking water security and so there's a third layer there which is in addition to diversity and beauty which is about the health of the whole system and restoring that element of nature. And then there's a fourth piece, which is really important, which is the historical and cultural dimension. Mm. And the fact that some elements of beauty and some manifestations of diversity are actually the result of human uses of the land. You know, so the Yorkshire Dales National Park, some of the most wonderful assets there that we have, which are also sites of special scientific interest, are the hay meadows. And the hay meadows are, are a human construct um, derived from an historic form of farming which thrived there for many centuries and which now we sustain um, as part of a cultural heritage, which is also beautiful and which is also um, helping to conserve diversity and which is also helping to reduce flood risk in towns downstream through having healthy soils which are replenishing rivers in a in a, in a very sustainable way. And so layering all this stuff on, on top of each other I think, is 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 one of the jobs that we have to now put centre stage in this task of nature recovery, because it's not one thing. It has to be all four at once, including that essential dimension of beauty.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. There's loads that comes up there. One thing that came into my mind was almost a sense of kind of bringing together these pieces that have been split apart, um, whether that's physically kind of fragmented landscapes or even know people that feel disconnected from nature so whether that's the nature recovery networks and even the um it makes me think of the is it the england coastal path which is near to completion you know helping people physically connect into landscapes
3: yes yes and that's a good example of actually of of where of where you 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 find alignment between some of these different values of nature so the coastal path will be um a means of enabling hopefully many many more people to enjoy the beautiful coastline that we have and in the process of enjoying that beauty you know we're increasingly aware of the huge social benefit we get from that in terms of public health and well-being and during this pandemic this has become an ever more evident strand of all of this and you think for a moment you know well People do want to go outside and they want to be enjoying the outdoors. That's good for public health, which is good for society. It's good for the health service. Ultimately, it's good for the economy. But where do they want to do that outdoor recreation? Do they want to go somewhere that's been despoiled and wrecked? Or do they want to go somewhere beautiful? And we all know the answer to that. And so you find then, you know, beauty, uh, a very intangible quality, aligning with a very practical one, which is about the health of the nation, and the pressures on the National Health Service, uh, mm. you know, and including some of these long term chronic illnesses, which increasingly are problematic uh, in modern Western countries anxiety, depression, heart disease, obesity, um, which, you know, between them cost an absolute fortune. But if you can enable people to enjoy beautiful places in the outdoors and to gain health and well being from that, then you actually make a tangible difference to what our you know, increasingly challenging uh, subjects.
1: Mm. Mm. You also talked about those early inspirations. And for me, it was growing up in an area of outstanding natural beauty. I grew up in the East Devon AONB. I'm curious... You've, you've touched on some, some of the ways, but how else, could beauty, how else does beauty inform and inspire policy and action? You've touched on the fact it's quite an intangible thing, but bolting it on to things that we can touch and feel and experience. Can you, are there any other examples you have of that?
3: Well, I think it's all around us every day, isn't it? And, and so, you know, one of the um, tasks that we see at hand for Natural England um, is to be looking at how we enhance nature not just in those protected sites, but everywhere. And you know the, um, and again, you know the COVID nineteen uh, experience has reminded us that you know although we have those beautiful places which are special and protected and designated with those historic um, labels of, of national park and, and everything else, most of us don't experience that day to day, and most of us actually live in towns and cities. Mm-hmm. And so, how we can make more beautiful urban areas and urban fringes is definitely a priority for for the modern conservation uh, discussion. And some great thinking actually that's been going on lately, um coming from the Wildlife Trust, some of the thinking we've been doing at Natural England, I know the National Trust have been looking at this as well, mm-hmm. is what can be done to create more beautiful environments where most of us live, rather than simply, or rather than only or or prioritising, let's say, um, those more um, iconic and remote places. And not to say that we need to detract from those. No, we certainly don't. We need to do much more to make those places better, including for wildlife and for access, But the modern challenge has to be, especially bearing in mind those health and well-being challenges around what we can do in in urban areas and the edges of urban areas. And, you know, the idea of wild belt, which has come from uh, the wildlife trusts, which would be, you know, thinking amongst other things about how we can take the green belts, you know, an historic planning designation that essentially was meant to stop urban sprawl um, going back to the 1930s. I believe that originated as a policy. Um, But today, you know, it did stop the urban sprawl, but those places very often are very far from beautiful. They're often quite Mm -hmm. degraded, neglected, um, maybe quite um, low kind of agricultural productivity, um, some of them with, uh, you know, lack of access as well. And so, you know, could we wild up the green belts? Could we be targeting nature recovery and the recovery of beauty um, in places where more people live? So that's something that Natural England are beginning to think about now, a new designation for landscape uh, that might go beyond some of the historic categories that we've had, which have been fantastic and done an amazing job. But to be adding to those in a way which reflects some of the modern challenges and opportunities, and you know, within that has to be really quite near the top of the list, this business of how we connect more people to nature, because nature is good for people. And if we can connect more people to those experiences, then it's going to be good for society and ultimately for the economy. And again, a kind of a practical alignment between the intangibility of beauty uh, and what we need to be doing as a country Mm. in a practical sense.
0: Yeah, Tony, that really resonates with me. I live in pretty central London and love it for many reasons, but, you know, do miss green. And I know as soon as I get into a park, I just kind of calm down. And it's just been the main source of, joy for people in the city um and yet not everyone goes into parks you know there's there's, there can be disconnection from seeking out the greens um so i'm kind of curious what, what what's your hunch about how that could look in the cities like
3: what could what would your vision be for the cities? um yeah vision for cities um Well, uh, we have, um, in the kind of, you know, practical sense, um, some new tools coming quite soon Mm. uh, from the Environment Bill that's now going back into Parliament. And one of the most exciting things in there is going to be the establishment of these new local nature recovery strategies. And so this will be effectively a planning process for people to come together, local authorities, businesses... NGOs, communities, community groups, to be thinking through where we need to be protecting nature, but crucially where we need to be restoring it, Mm. generating some sense of priorities and opportunities. And all of our towns and cities have um, opportunities to be doing more, to be creating those kinds of uh, nature recovery strategies that would lead to more beautiful places that would be better for people to live in. And so I would hope that that process, when it gets going uh, over the next couple of years, will be enabling us to be thinking about urban green spaces, whether that's parks, rivers, canal sides, how we can connect green spaces in the city that are wilder, with wilder green belts, uh, with cycle routes and walking paths and so on, and to be blending that into the aspirations for new housing development, for example, and to be making this a much more joined up, an integrated approach. Um, and, you know, as I say, the appetite is certainly there in the environment bill. And we're hoping that the planning bill uh, that will be going through Parliament uh, this term too will be reinforcing that idea of not just um, places to live, but places that are beautiful to live, mm-hmm. which are going to be feeding the human spirit as well as feeding the demand for how many other thousands of houses that we need to be building. And so, you know, there's a lot to think through there. Um, But any town and city in the country has opportunities to be doing so much better on all of this. And some of it is quite simple stuff, actually. So, you know, the Landscape Institute have done studies over the years um, asking people which landscapes they they prefer in cities. And you wouldn't be surprised to know that trees lined with streets lined with mature trees are far, far more attractive to people than those that are not. Mm-hmm. And so we we have a pretty good idea of what good could look like. Um, and, you know, the development of of strategies based upon all the new tools that we have, some in the planning side, some coming from uh, new resources that government is making available, the nature of the climate fund, for example. If we could put all these things together in a good way, then we could have far, far better outcomes than we've managed to achieve in the past. Mm. Um, and that does seem, though, to the point I made earlier about you know, the new energy and momentum that seems to be attached to all of this. If we can harness that in the towns and cities as much as we can in the rural areas, then um, you know, the benefits could be so much bigger. Mm
1: yeah there's there's something about making sure everybody feels part of this too and for me language is part of that you know in a kind of local authority building you don't often hear the word beauty in a meeting mm-hmm. um, and yet with things like the national design guide which i notice has the ideas of living with beauty and creating space for beauty in it maybe these maybe we can kind of beautify and wild our language that we use in quite dull processes like planning, yeah. as, as well as actually having beautiful trees and things themselves.
3: Yes, I, I think that, that that's vital, isn't it? And mm. um, this is where the um, the uh, you know the the the, the language of, of technical policy and scientific information it sometimes um, casts a shadow across what actually really inspires people. Um, you know, it's necessary to have process and to have structure and to have evidence and to have legal codes. Um, but if those exclude the whole point of what you're trying to do in the first place, then it becomes um, less uh, less optimal in, in terms of what you might get at the end. So blending in, you know, the policy with some of this side, which is more about inspiration and intangibles, is vital. And that, in the end, I think it is going to be done by bringing people together, as you say, because... Um, You know, handing down solutions from some kind of remote process often doesn't work. But if you can involve people in co-designing what they might collectively like to do, I think you get very different levels of energy in it. And this is hopefully what the local nature recovery strategies will will permit up to a point, at least, is Mm. to create that forum where people can come in and can be expressing views about... um, you know, more based upon some of these intangibles as well as uh, what are often quite impenetrable processes, uh, which makes sense only to planners very often.
0: So it sounds like, um, Tony, when you think about going forward with all of this, so it sounds like for you it won't work simply allowing people to kind of go off and just enjoy nature without thinking about conserving it and equally it won't work just by conserving it and not having people enjoy it. So for you, it is this kind of a whole holistic, but like genuinely holistic way of thinking that's
3: important yeah, here. For sure. Um, yeah, all these things linked together. So all those layers of, of beauty, diversity, the health of nature and its cultural and historic context, all of those things need to be brought together. And understanding that this whole process, it doesn't occur in a vacuum. Of course it doesn't. And actually, you think about conservation and what we need to do for the environment just for a, a moment. You kind of inevitably are confronted by the inescapable truth that pretty much all of what we're trying to do is to correct pressures that are created by people. And so conservation isn't about animals and plants in the end, it mm. is purely about people. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the, um, Fauna and Flora International, I was lucky enough to be a board member there for some time. And that excellent organisation um, had a mantra, um, which was always very um, powerful. And the idea at the heart of that organisation was to believe that conservation was a social progress process mm-hmm. informed by science, rather than a scientific process that then you hand out answers from and expect society to, mm-hmm. own. Oh, it doesn't work like that. Because, you know, every environmental problem we have has been caused by some misunderstanding, some oversight, some cultural or economic uh, momentum that is put put forward by people. And if you want to deal with that, it's no solution just to give a scientific answer because it, it doesn't work, because it's connecting at the wrong level. Because what people do is about their priorities rather than about a set of data that they don't necessarily understand or agree with. Yeah. So that, that piece about integrating um, the solutions with, you know, the wider social context, it's, yeah, it's vital. And pretty much every successful conservation story you find has got a human story in it. I mean, that, that's what it is mm-hmm. first and foremost. And the animals and plants coming back or not disappearing is a consequence of that successful social story
1: Mm, yeah and that's why it feels really important to connect with sticky things like economics you know kind of looking at ecology and economics hand in hand and I guess the purists would say you know you can't link economics to ecology and and probably vice versa but actually it is and that's really part of the purpose of what we try and do with this podcast it's about bringing worlds together and saying how can how do these worlds speak to each other
3: yes no that that's totally it And so I've received quite a bit of criticism over the years for advocating um, this view of the natural world, which is based upon the practical value to human societies. So I wrote a couple of books, including What Has Nature Ever Done For Us, which um, was an attempt to open people's eyes to the extent to which nature is not only beautiful and worthy of conservation for its own sake, It's actually essential for the whole of the human economic and and social structures that enable civilization to exist. And I got quite a lot of criticism for that because a lot of people saw it as a sellout. You know, you're advocating um, the value of nature in economic terms and natural capital. And this is going to lead to the commodification of nature, to which my answer was no. Um, The greatest oversight that conservationists have allowed to happen over the last 50 years is to portray the conservation and recovery of nature as an alternative to economic development. And when you have that kind of dialogue, do we have development or do we have nature in any country in the world where decisions are shaped by the popular view and the political reality? People come first. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. Mm. And if you don't align the people dimension into the conservation strategy, it won't work. And so my point was to hopefully make clear that economics and ecology are actually the same thing. And the more you push them apart, the more you make it impossible to fix the ecological challenges and the more, in the end, you imperil the economy. You know, no economy on Earth is going to survive four degrees of global warming. No economy on Earth is going to survive the destruction of the soils and the pollinators. No economy on Earth can survive without fresh water. All of these things are the benefits we get from a stable, healthy, natural system. And if we don't protect that, then the economic system won't work. And that's not to say that then economics trumps beauty. Far from it. It's to say that until you make that economic connection, you cannot protect beauty, diversity or the health of the system because economics will always win because that's the reality of how human societies work. We're about people first, and, you know, that, that, that's the way uh, the world functions. So um, I, I, I'm delighted to see that since I wrote that book in 2013, you know, the, the, um, the agenda has moved so much further forward to the point where we had earlier this year the publication of Sir Partha Das Gupta's review for the Treasury, basically laying out that narrative that, you know, the destruction of nature is not the inevitable price of progress. The destruction of nature is actually going to be a major economic threat. And so what we have to do is devise economic strategies that enable us to restore the natural environment at the same time as we meet people's needs for housing, water, food, energy and everything else. And that, I do believe now, is becoming more central to the policy direction in this country and some other countries. And this couldn't come a moment too soon. But you see... The thing is, when I advocate, you know, that health dimension of nature, so the carbon capture, the water purity, the food security, um, I don't for a second abandon the equal priority attached to beauty. And if you do this right, you layer these four things on top of each other. We have the health of nature in terms of those practical benefits. We have the diversity of nature restored in terms of the animals and plants and the biodiversity. We have the cultural and historic dimension blended in. And we do it in a way which enhances the beauty of every place we live and work. And if we do that, uh, you know, the dividends are enormous. Mm. Uh, if, if only that reality becomes apparent to the people who are making the decisions, which, as I say, increasingly is the case. Mm. Oh. It seems still yes. patches of work to be done, of course. But.
0: Yeah. but but some green shoots, some encouragement, it sounds like.
3: Yeah, mm. I think so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm curious. Um our listeners are from all over the world. Um, where would you point people to um, if they want to learn more about the topic of beauty, um, some of your work, and even perhaps some of the complexity you've alluded to? Like, What would be some good resources to
3: look at? Oh, there's so much being written at the moment about all of these things. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's actually, that that's another thing. Um, in the last 10 years, this massive explosion of, of what you might call nature writing, Mm. and some of it's very philosophical, some of it's quite technical, some of it is, you know, inspirational and painting pictures of different futures, and so there's a vast amount out there. i tell you one thing that that I was lucky enough to help write um, with His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales is a book called Harmony, Mm. um, which was published in 2010, and actually that was a turning point in my thinking about all of this, I have to say, So I I came from 18 years working at Friends of the Earth, you know, very full on, hardcore campaigning. And we got a lot done. Um, But, you know, I finished up my time there thinking that actually it is all about policy. It is all about science. It is all about the law. And spending a couple of years working with His Royal Highness on that um, was a real eye opener for me um, because, you know, his thesis was not so much all of that, even though, you know, he agrees that it is all of that. But at heart, it's a philosophical question and the extent to which we see human societies as embedded in the natural world and the extent to which until quite recently, that's exactly what human societies thought they were mm-hmm. until the period of industrialization and the rise of, um, you know, the, the over, 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 overbearing prominence of technology and the view that everything can be solved by another machine or another invention and so that book, I mean, I'm, I'm the co-author of it. It's up there. I, I, um, yeah, I kind of, I hesitate to recommend things I helped to write myself, but that's one that certainly was not helpful <laughs> yeah. for me. Why not?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Actually, it was the lead author who takes the credit there. I just helped.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely point our listeners towards that. Brilliant. Thank you for, for being with us and giving us some Pleasure. ideas of connecting yeah. things and green shoots and connecting yeah. worlds. It's been really Great, thank you for your time, Tony. Yeah, thank
3: you. Pleasure. Nice. Lovely to see you both, and it's, a, it's a, it makes a nice change to um, have a proper conversation about some deeper stuff rather than day in, day out produce policy sound bites, which is good. And we have to do
1: that. <laughs> Every <laughs> It was really good to speak with Tony. That felt really rich. Mm -hmm. There were lots of directions we could have taken that in and I would have happily carried on chatting to him for some time. There is a couple of things that I particularly resonated with. One, I think, was just that broader idea of layering. So he talked about the Mm. layering those four things, you know, Mm. the diversity, the health, the cultural stuff and the kind of beauty in place. It also linked to how we talked about building bridges and co-designing, you know, conserving beauty and the natural world is a social process. It's not just about a science. It's not just about protecting a particular species. Actually, we are the ones that have put pressure on species in the first place. So actually, it's about us reflecting on ourselves. And Mm. for me, that makes me think that that all all kinds of things. We need to improve relationships. We need to think about the language we use, um, which we did touch on, actually, Mm just there I really enjoyed that you know and I think about some of my own work as a counsellor in a local authority where you know the word beauty just doesn't really come into things or it hasn't Mm. historically but now it kind of increasingly is and I think that's fascinating you know how we the words we use to talk about things influence how we feel about things and therefore how we Mm. respond to things so that feels really important and then also the stuff about the Areas of Outstanding Natural Beauty, AONBs. Mm. Um, like I said, I grew up in an AONB. This is a kind of landscape designation in the UK. And there's was just something about that idea of, you know, this isn't just about science or economics or policy, though those things are vital. It's It's about the inspiration as well. And I think growing up by the coast in one of these areas that was a really early prompt for me. Mm. Um, and that touches on what he talked about with, you know, in terms of the spiritual, the the inspiring, the, the, mm. the, the way we feel, as well as then the policies we go on to create. That felt really important. Mm.
0: Yeah, well, like you, I actually grew up in an A, O, N, and B as well, in the Cotswolds. And, yeah, I think those childhood prompts are, are so important. Equally, it was really great to hear... Tony's, you know, thoughts and ideas around what we can do in the cities because that's where many, many people live. Mm. And I actually was really encouraged to hear about the the kind of green shoots that are in terms of thinking and, and future collaboration that are planned, you know, for cities, for towns, for the green belts. Um because yeah, it's with that, it's, it's almost says you get the chance to experience nature in whatever form it is. Um, that's just going to allow people um, that real chance to love it. Um, Mm. I also, I guess, touching on context in in that urban environment, it reminded me last week I was in Battersea Park um, and saw one of my favourite birds, um, which is the, the mandarin duck. Um, beautiful. I particularly like the male. Um, I just love the color. I'm just looking at it just now on my phone. Just the mm. colors are just so gorgeous mm-hmm. purples, orange, teal, greens. You mm. know, it's just lovely. And uh, I love the fact that they're also um, symbolise the love of devoted couples.
1: Um,
0: so there's something that it's touching when he talks about it, it's not just seeing a beautiful bird, but it's in the context that it's in. And that context can be a city park, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, unspoilt, mm. um, wilds. Uh, and that just felt really important to think about the systems that each of us find ourselves um, and, and finding beauty within those.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love a mandarin duck. It's <laughs> like a it's like a, a child has sort of been given a box of paint yeah. and just been told to paint a bird and, um, yeah, really beautiful. Yeah, and I love that, the context feels important it's not just a kind of disjointed separate thing it's Mm. what does beauty look like here in this place right Mm. now in this time as well yeah absolutely and also just finally on Tony he he finished off talking about he touched on nature writing Mm. and, and books yeah you know I'm a big fan of not all but some of the nature writing that's seems to be taking up more and more shelf space in in our bookshops it's a thing of beauty in itself they're often produced really nice but yeah it's just like the way that they can be philosophical you know technical practical I think there's a lot out there And I guess I'm curious whether some of that nature writing is almost like a vicarious you know we can't all be out in wild now it's it's, it can be difficult so one expression of that is in our writing and in our mm. books and in our art we haven't even got on to art in this yeah. episode and photography That's photography one. and so mm-hmm. on speaking of photographers there's a quote I jotted down by Ansel Adams who's an American mm. photographer and he said there's a longer quote but the line I like from it is art is both the taking and giving of beauty mm. Mm. and I like that it's almost makes me think of don't don't hoard it you know if, if you're absorbing and seeing and experiencing and hearing encountering beauty Mm. do something with it you know take the beauty but then give it back as well Mm. that was it that's a kind of prompt I feel so lucky to be able to walk out in nature and to to encounter beautiful people in my work and beautiful Mm. ideas and so on I guess that's a question I'm just sitting with at the minute how am I giving that back out Mm. um and and not hoarding it you know nature isn't a hoarder It, it every year just does its thing um, generously, and I think there's something about generosity here, which is interesting as well. Yeah. So as we come towards the end, there's there's lots of takeaways here and and learnings and noticings. But actually, going back to that quote from Ansel Adams, and as we're talking, that almost sums up this episode. The, the quote again is: "Art is both the taking and giving of beauty." Mm. And all of our guides today, Nina, Tony, and, and the both of us as well, I sort of have noticed how we have we appreciate and absorb beauty in different ways and in our own unique way. And equally, we're finding our own unique ways to, to give that back out. So whether that's through creating a natural skincare company like Nina's done, whether that's through creating policies to protect, you know, landscape level beauty and, and wildlife like Tony's doing, or whether that's like us, Katrina, with mm. uh, you creating a podcast and the other mm. things we do it's is trying to give something back out, so that mm. flow absorbing it in and giving it mm. back out. I think for me, that's maybe an like an overarching takeaway from today, mm. yeah, absolutely. I,
0: I I think that's spot on. And I guess the question I would leave with our listeners is, you know how do you want to go about noticing? first of all, and then appreciating the beauty around you and in you and in others? Mm. And how do you want to share back what you've experienced in different ways?
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, good questions. And on the note of beauty, I'm going to read out a poem to end. Mm. And it appropriately is called A Thing of Beauty. And it's by the... English romantic poet, John Keats. It's quite a few lines long, so feel free to listen or not listen. I'm going to offer it out to you and then, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, say goodbye. So the poem goes like this. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. Its loveliness increases. It will never pass into nothingness, but still we will keep a bower quiet for us and asleep full of sweet dreams and health and quiet breathing. Therefore, on every morrow, are we wreathing a flowery band to bind us to the earth, spite of despondence, of the inhuman dearth, of noble natures, of the gloomy days, of all the unhealthy and over-darkened ways, made for our searching, yes, in spite of all. Some shape of beauty moves away the poor from our dark spirits. Such the sun, the moon, trees, old and young, sprouting a shady boon, for simple sheep, and such are daffodils, with the green world they live in, and clear rills that for themselves a cooling covert make, against the hot season, the mid-forest break, rich with the sprinkling of fair musk rose blooms, and such too is the grandeur of the dooms we have imagined for the mighty dead, an endless fountain of immortal drink pouring unto us from the heaven's brink. Mm. Thank you, John Keats. You are good at beautiful poetry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and thank you listeners for being with us and uh, exploring this topic with us. And thanks again to Tony and Nina for being our guides today. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Elizabeth. And you, Kat. So for now, it's Goodbye
0: from Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire